Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. This year is a year of grace. But I really want to announce to us that as a church, I believe that we're coming into a transition into a new era of grace. That all of us as a church, as congregations throughout the city, will begin to have a greater revelation about the grace of God. And many times, for many people, grace is only a doctrine. It's just one of the parts of the gospel. But if you begin to study the Word of God, you begin to see that grace is the gospel. Grace is the new covenant. Grace is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, that you begin to take hold of everything that God has provided for you. I've heard many people who started 2019 with a bang, and then at the end of the year they're confused as to why they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. And they say, well, sometimes you're lucky that in life there are ups and downs. You don't know what's really going to happen. That's not what the Word of God teaches. And because you don't know what the Word of God teaches, the enemy can persuade you concerning anything regarding life. And most of us are living our lives on the basis of the ideas and thoughts of somebody out there. And the Word of God is a manual from the designer, from the Lord who manufactured us in a specific way. And God has an interest in making sure that you become everything that he's designed you to be. Amen. Amen. And so at the crossover, your amen needs to be strong. Amen. amen. I think I preached a message on the importance of your amen. And so it is so important that you realize that being in church this year is a part of your success. Tell your neighbor, being in church this year is foundational to your success. You choose. Yeah. Because many times people think that it's optional. The Word of God says in the book of Hebrews, don't be like those who have made it a habit, right, of not being with the fellowship, not being with those who are calling out to Jesus as Savior and Lord, even as you see the day approaching. And it is critical that you are under the sunlight, under the UV rays of the grace of God, under the teaching. Because as you are here, as we are ministering the word of God, things are happening to you. It's not just when you pray. When the word is being ministered, the Bible says the apostle Paul was preaching the gospel. And it says the power of God was present to heal those who had diseases, to restore those who were oppressed. And it is God's plan and will that you submit yourself to the ministration of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. He said that he did that because he wanted the wise people of the world to be confounded by a foolish method of salvation. So that everyone that receives salvation from God will have to humble themselves. And put aside their assumed wisdom and come and listen to preaching. Come and listen to preaching about a cross. To the Jew, it is a stumbling block. It's offensive. How can my Messiah be on the tree? The Lord that, that Moses gave us says that if you are hung on a tree, you are cursed. They're offended by the gospel. To the Greek, the philosopher... It's foolishness. But to God, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God to us who are being saved. Tell your neighbor, don't miss out. Don't miss out. Amen. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that your word does not return void. As the rain comes down and waters the earth, so the word of God is watering our spirits and our souls this morning, Lord God. Tempering us and stirring us up for the purpose that you have for us, Lord God. Thank you that your grace is being released this morning as we preach and as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be fasting. How many of you are fasting? Just raise your hand here. 
Very good. If you are not fasting, join us. Okay? There was a time when Esther, Queen Esther, it's in the, in the Bible, she was, she was to rescue the whole nation of Israel. And she said that the only way that she could do it was to go before the king, Xerxes. But the problem was there's an edict that says you can't come before the king unless he summons you. Even if you are the first lady. <laughs> and so Mordecai, Esther's uncle, tells her, look, you have to go to the king. She says, I'm going to die. And, and then Mordecai says, well, you are not in this palace because you are a beautiful girl. And you won a beauty pageant. It was because God wanted to preserve the nation. That in this time he brought you into the palace. So you better do it otherwise God will raise up someone else to do it. And by the time the sword comes on Israel, you will be one of them. You, the wife. And then Esther said, okay. I'll go before the king. Call all of Israel to a fast. Three days. Let them not eat anything. Because I'm going before the king. Let no one eat. My life <laughs> is on the line. Come through, brother. There are chairs here. My life is on the line. And so we are fasting, not because we think it's a religious exercise that we need to do. We are fasting because we understand that in the realm of the spirit, we need to appropriate certain things that have been made available to us. Do you understand? So you are not trying to get something that God has not provided and the fasting is twisting his arm. We are appropriating that which God has already made available by our prayer, by our fasting. Are you with me? And uh, there are some concerns that were raised. If you're a mom and you're breastfeeding, how do I fast? How do I do this? If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be able to be led by Him. But you will probably not do a complete dry fast or just water or just iced tea or just soup for the sake of your child. But there's something called a soul or emotions fast where you, you break away from entertainment for 21 days. No music, no movies, no news. Some people watch the news because it's gossip. <laughs> Official gossip. And, and sometimes no engagement with your husband. They are, they are underage people <laughs> in the room. But that one you have to ask for permission. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so join us. We're starting today. And every day we're here from 5.30 till 7, praying. It's an encounter. Right? Doesn't matter if you murdered a man like Moses. Come to the burning bush. God will give you definition. Amen. So today is week one. We're starting with our first message. It's called Abundant Grace. Abundant Grace. How amazing grace transforms our relationship with God. And it is so important that we begin to understand these concepts because God is a speaking God. This is very foundational. You must understand. Because in some other religions, God does not speak. And they are okay with it. In fact, the fact that he doesn't speak to people makes him holy and special. But we have a speaking God. And it says in the beginning was the word. The logos, the concept. And so God is in, the, he's in the place where he speaks. And so language is very important to God. So when we say abundant grace, what does that mean? What does that mean? In Hebrew, the word grace is the word chen. From the root word chenan or shannon. And that means favor. Favor from someone. It means like an approach of compassion. So when we say grace, abundant grace, you must hear abundant favor. When people say, 
I will see by the grace of God. You know, religiously, people talk like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll make it, but by God's grace. They don't know necessarily what they're saying there because it's just in the language. It's lost its meaning. If you've got favor with God, hmm. if you've got favor with God, it's not just that God likes you and takes some kind of distant interest in you. It's that he will be moved to prosper and to foster all the best in your life. You know that you can be someone's child, son or daughter, and not have favor with your mom or dad. They are your parent. And it is so important to realize that even though you are a believer, many of us don't recognize the favor that is available to us from God Almighty. In the Greek, the word is charis or charis, but charis. It means kindness that moves to action. When we say, oh God, why don't you do something? You are indicting God with a false accusation. He is the one that always does something. Always does something. And the, the, the gospel is the revelation of what God has done to prove his grace towards us. Amen? And the reason why this concept is so important is because the Bible has two parts. The Bible that you read. If you have a Bible app, maybe you don't see that distinctly. But the Bible that you read has two parts. Number one is the Old Testament. What is a testament? It's a covenant or a, a will. In Africa, that concept is not very common because... <laughs> Anyway, so there's a testament is a will. When someone is about to die, they write a will with the beneficiaries in there. Alright? This is what they call law of succession. Okay? And so there is a will. It's called a testament. But in the, in the Jewish concept, a testament and a covenant is like an agreement that has the effect of a will and it is bound by blood and so the only way out is by death. Either you kill yourself or you call me to come and kill you. It's the only way out. It's by blood. Okay? And the Bible has two testaments. Now if you understand your law of succession, and you're in a relationship with somebody, and they're about to die, they're old, make sure that you are in the latest version of the will. Because <laughs> it's not just all the wills that will apply. The law only recognizes the last one. You thought, no, in, in 1990, when we became independent, I was in the will. You need to double-check that thing. <laughs> Often, because if they make a second will, the second will nullifies. It nullifies the previous one. The Bible has how many wills? Two wills. The second will makes the previous one, the second testament makes the previous one obsolete. And what is obsolete is now fading away, Galatians. Many people are living in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that the Old Testament is not relevant. The Old Testament gives you the narrative and the background. But the fulfillment is not in the Old. It is in the New. The New has better promises. It has better blood. Yes, because the old was sealed with the blood of animals. The new was sealed with the blood of the eternal Son of God. And in the old one, right, the problem was that the agreement between God and man was always failing because of who? Man. 
But in the new one, the agreement is between God and who? And his son, Jesus. It's water tight. Jesus will never fail on his part of the covenant, representing us. Right? And God will never fail in his part of the covenant. And where are we? We are just receiving the benefits. Are you with me? Many people have been Christians for 45 years. And they have never understood this. So when you read the Old Testament, and you look at the lives and examples of those men and women, don't look at them in the same way as you look at those in the New Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament did not have the fulfillment of the promises there. And the relationship with God was a distant one. I need at least three hours, Pastor Yoma. Go home. During this time of fasting, read at least three of the letters. Number one, Romans. Romans. Number two, Galatians. And read it in one sitting like a letter. Number three, Hebrews. He makes these arguments and he gives examples from the old. And it makes you realize that the old was good, but it could not make any man good. It says the law was not evil. The problem was with us. But in the new covenant, we have now someone who represents us, who is perfect. And we come into the fullness of it. Okay, take us further. Most people, when you ask them, who is God? Some of these pictures are the ones that come up. And that's why they say, no, uh, Christianity is a, it's a white man's religion. Nonsense. Just do some research. Okay? Over there in the corner is Zeus. He oversees the, is it the Greek pantheon of gods. And he's got a lightning bolt. You do anything wrong, then he will lightning you from Mount Olympus. Okay, he will lightning you. Then, on the on the right, it's true, and most people have that feeling. And if he doesn't lightning them, then at least, at least he will just be like a lightning frown, like strike one. That is the understanding that people have. The way that you understand and see God will determine how you receive from him and will determine the quality of your walk with God. Let me say that again. The way you see God, this is why Jesus had to come. All the concepts in the Old Testament were partial revelations. It was a, a, through, through, through like a, a, the bottom of a glass bottle perspective of who god is and jesus had to come to reveal the father so that we could come home and be reconciled on the basis of the news about who our father is then there the picture is jesus usually you know like leaned back with a beard and then the father is old that's how people, how people see it, as if God ages. Right? And I understand it's just like a depiction, and then the Holy Spirit is a bird, which is incorrect. He's not a bird. Amen? It says, do not make an idol in the form of, anyway. So the Holy Spirit is not a bird. But many people, when they have this image of the Holy Spirit coming, Let's bring a dove in. That was just one. That was just one time. And so this is the concepts for others. Then there are all sorts of idolatrous, idolatrous pictures of who God is. I looked here, and these are pictures of kids drawing their dad. 
if I had to ask you, please draw a picture of Jesus, <laughs> right? And many times, <laughs> there's the unnecessary people look at daddy and they think he's doing one thing, but actually he's doing another thing. But they don't know because there's this confusion. <laughs> Amen? You'll remember that picture. And so it is really important. What is the picture? What is the impression that you are getting concerning God when we are preaching to you? When we are ministering to you? It is so fundamental. Now let's read here together Titus chapter 3, verse 3, 1 to go. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You couldn't say this to the Old Testament people. They would not accept it. It violates so many things of the Old Covenant. Why? Because one, God was too holy. Man was unholy. Separated by their sins. But because of what Christ has done, he has now changed the whole narrative in the way that we relate to God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, this is grace, goodness and loving kindness. When you read the New Testament, most of the letters start how? Grace and peace be unto you from God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace from God. Grace and peace. Grace, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. What does that mean? God's favor towards you. And peace, why? Because God is no longer at war with you. Not because of works done in righteousness. If a man was to be righteous in the old covenant, he had to fulfill the law of Moses. The only other way to get righteous is by faith. Now, many people say, yeah, but what about Abraham and those ones who were before Moses? We will get there. God's intention was always to bring revelation of him as being full of grace. So, number one, God was full of grace from the beginning. Can you guys put up that scripture for us? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 3. <laughs> 2, 5. Thank you. Just testing that you are not sleeping. So God was full of grace from the beginning. Because most people, when they read their Bible, it's like, wow, God was super angry in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he's so nice. It's like, which Jesus do you want? The Old Testament or the new one? I want the new one. Okay? Let's read here together. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Did, hold on, hold on. When did he choose us in him? Before. Did that, what, what disposition, what emotional state, if I can put it like that, from God was required in order for him to choose us? A state of grace. So he had to be gracious and loving before he can choose you. So he chose us before the creation of the world to do? To be holy and? Hallelujah. 
Oh, man. You know, sometimes when your marriage is doing good, your spouse tends to be blameless in your sight. It doesn't matter what newspaper publishes what. It doesn't matter which Facebook or whatever feed posts what. You will say, no, I know. My babe. <laughs> they are not like that. They are blameless. And with God, this is where we have been placed. That even if the accuser, Satan, comes and accuses us before the Father, accuses us, we are blameless. Hallelujah. In his sight. In the Old Testament, it was not possible. The only way that you could be blameless is like you are in your conduct and disposition. But then you mess up all the time. And all of that is registered. In love, he, he chose us before him. Yes, yes, yes. Go to the next one. In love, he predestined us for adoption to Hallelujah. You, <laughs> in some world religions, you can't say, I'm a son of God. You have, then you are... You are Hercules. The sons of the gods are gods themselves. According to the understanding of the pantheons. That's why you can't say you are a child of God. You are saying big things if you say, I'm a child of God. And most of the time, we just say it as if it's in passing. Eh? Rejoice, I'm a child of the king. Rejoice, I'm a child. Rejoice, I'm a child of the king. Rejoice, I'm a child of the king. We sing, clap your hands. I'm a child of... And we are saying these things in ignorance. Not understanding the implications of what has happened to bring us into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. In accordance with what? He's, he was happy. He was pleased to bring us into this state where we are in Christ, blameless before him. Under the rain and floodgates of his favor and love. Number two. Before we go there. If you look here, go back quickly. To Genesis. Look here at how Cain responds to God. It was always very interesting to me. Cain just killed his brother. Cain was the son, the oldest son, the eldest son of Adam and Eve, right? Cain invited his brother Abel to the field to kill him because of the sacrifice that was made and God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Look at Cain's response to God after he kills his brother. God says to him, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? How can you, how can you talk with, with any of you, if God speaks to you loud like that, would any of you say, hey, I don't know. <laughs> am, am, is, it my, is, it my, is it my story? Huh? Why are you asking me? But look how he's relating to God because of how warm because of how warm God has always been with them. They've seen this from Adam and Eve. Even the time when Adam sinned and God came in the cool of the day looking for fellowship with, with, with Adam and Eve. And they had just disobeyed God and cursed the whole creation. And what was God's approach? After everything, he made garments from animal skin prophesying about the lamb that would be slain in order to cover the shame of sin and death. God was always a kind God. We sing this song um, from the Nigerians, this kind God, or I've never seen your type, or this kind me, I will not suffer. And some people are like, mm -hmm. Why? Because there is a cynicism in the earth concerning God. If you tell anybody yeah, about God, their, their, their intent or the, the perspective that they get is you are trying to just bring accountability. You are trying just to call me to order. No. When you are coming to God, you are being brought into life and love. Number two, next one. The law came by Moses. 
Exodus 33. Take us there to that scripture. So Moses brings the people of Egypt, the people of Israel, out of Egypt, out of captivity, the sons of Abraham. Brings them out of captivity. They go through the wilderness. And then God says to them, I want my people to come and worship me in the wilderness. They come to that place at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And they camp there. And that is the place where the Ten Commandments are given. Now all the way from Egypt to that place, no one died yet, not by God's hand. I don't know if you noticed. They murmured and complained and said, let's go back to, to, to Egypt. Why did you bring us here? And oh, this complaint. And all the way, God wanted to relate to them directly under kindness. But what happened? When God came on the mountain, he said to them, consecrate yourselves fast. Come, and I will come on the mountain. And there was all sorts of lightning and clouds and darkness. And what happened? The people said, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> back up. Moses, you go and ask God what he wants. And we will do it. Let's read together here. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. So Moses then goes up and he goes to encounter God. And God gives him two things. He gives him the law and he gives him the sacrificial system and the tabernacle. It says, now show me your glory. Next one. And, and, and God is interacting with Moses. He said, mouth to mouth. With Moses, I deal like I deal with a friend. Face to face, mouth to mouth. Like I wanted to deal with all of Israel. And so Moses is in this place where he is now in the presence of God. It's 40 days and 40 nights of no eating, just God. Sustaining, sustaining him. And then Moses says, you know, can I see your face? This is awesome. This is awesome. He says, can I see your face? And the Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness. Because previously he said, you can't see my face, Moses, because no man can see my face and survive. My face is too good. <laughs> it is too overwhelming. Too powerful. It's not a matter of like CIA, if I tell you I have to kill you. It's not like that. It is a matter of the face and the love of God. It's so rich in encounter. It kills with goodness. It kills with goodness. And then the Lord said, but I will cause all my goodness to pass. And this is what he said, I will put you in a rock. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. You know that hymn? He hid my soul in the cleft of the... He puts us, he put him in the cleft, like just to have like a, a picking. Do you see? Even Moses has this perspective. Of God. And so he, God puts him in the cleft of the mountain of the rock. And he looks and then he says, and I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, yeah? Yahweh, Jehovah, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. Next one. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Next one. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Next one. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand even. <laughs> You're trying to look at God and then he's like... <laughs> right? And I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Next one. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Next one. I, the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, chisel out the two stone tablets like the first one. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. Because the first one Moses destroyed. Okay? Which you broke. <laughs> this is really nice. You will see through the scripture. God has a personality how he relates to. Number two. Be ready in the morning and then come up, come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Next one. 
No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere <laughs> on the mountain. Even the flocks or the animals or the herds may graze in front of the mountain. Next one. So Moses chiseled out the, the two stone tablets like the first one and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the stu- two stone tablets in his hand. Next one. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. This is not Bible story, it is history. This actually happened. Stood there with him and proclaimed his name. In the Jewish Bible, we will see Yahweh. Okay? Proclaimed his name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming this. The Lord, or Yahweh, Adonai, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Can you see? He could have said, the one who destroys evil wherever he finds it. But this is what God says. I want to see your face, God. What is the closest to your nature that I can see and still live? And this is what God says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And he is slow to anger. But when you read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, is like, Moses, as on my way, I will destroy these people. But in his actual nature, <laughs> he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Abounding. Ask your neighbor, do you know God like this? Some of you are thinking, which God is this? This is not the one that I was introduced to. Yeah? And faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, justice. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But his compassion is to which generation? A thousand generations. Go back to our slide. How do you see God? Go back to our slides. How do you see God? How do you see God? When people say, guys, let's go for prayer. (laughs) Why? Because I don't want to spend time with God. Why? Because he's not great to be around. And Moses said what? Show me your face, God. Show me your face. The law came by Moses. Give us the next verse. The Bible says that the Ten Commandments that were given and the law of Moses became the avenue which released wrath, released anger in the relationship with God. Why? They asked, give us instructions and we will do them. We don't want to be too close to you. Moses, you go. But for us, give us instructions. So the law was given. And the Bible says it's the ministry of death engraved on tablets of stone. It's the ministry of condemnation. Why? Because the law is supposed to make you feel inadequate. It is a precursor. A preparation. It says the law is like a schoolmaster to tell you, you are wrong. You are wrong, you. You are wrong. You are subject to the wrath of God. But it cannot save you. And when Moses came down with the Lord, the stone tablets, after he destroyed the thing, he told the priest, kill. Kill those ones who decided to rebel against God. 3,000 were killed. 3,000. To prove this is the ministry of death. And many of us want to relate to God through the law. Why? Because we think we are good enough. When you ask anybody, even in the club, you ask them, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. I haven't killed everybody. I just killed one or two guys. Not everybody. And so our estimation of what is righteous and good is in comparison to people like Hitler, people like Idi Amin, the great dictators of the world. But God's estimation of goodness is perfection in comparison to himself. 
Last one, Jesus Christ revealed grace and God fully. Give us John chapter 1 verse 16. And so all this time, Israel is waiting for the Messiah who is the fulfillment of the promises, the law and the prophets, all being fulfilled. Even Jesus said, no part of the law will be removed until everything is fulfilled. Then it can be set aside because the fulfillment is in Christ and righteousness is now by grace through faith. It says, and in the beginning it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then it says, out of his fullness, look here, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So Jesus if, if ever you had to ask, Father, I want to see your face. Jesus is the only opportunity that mankind had to see God in truth. All other perspectives are partial and obscure. But Jesus is the full revelation. Give us the next verse. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Look here. No one has? Let's read this together. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is the relationship with the Father, has made him known. Many people are trying to get their perspective of who God is from the old covenant. It's not enough. It's okay, but it's not enough until you come to find the true revelation of who God is in Jesus. This is why there are not many ways to God. No, you can be a Muslim and still find God. You can be a, uh, a Hindu and still find God. You can be a Hare Krishna. You can be a New Ager. You can be an atheist and still find God. There are not many roads to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, tell your neighbor, no one, not even you, can come to the Father except by me. Hallelujah. And what we have received in Christ is better than what Moses had. Sometimes we say, Lord, I wish I was like Moses up in Mount Sinai just worshiping you and just feeling the glory cloud. Moses is like, Neman. <laughs> that stuff was partial. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus and nothing else. Take away all your religious things. Give me Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfection and the full revelation of God. Hallelujah. And so if we tell, I'm here to tell you good news. God is a good God. God is a kind God. Even though many see his wrath, it says that he's, he actually delights in mercy, not in judgment. He is rich in mercy. And this is something that you need to personalize. It can't be, yeah, God in general is merciful. You need to know him that he's for you. He's on your side, not just because you are the children of this, uh, your, your parents are in ministry or they are good Christians. No, you, you, you that has come to Christ, you have received the full package. Hallelujah. You have received the full package of the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And you ask yourself, yeah, but why is my life the way that it is? It is because you are not taking advantage of what you have been given. Oh, are you saying that it's me? Yes. <laughs> what is the door to this abundant grace? What is the door? There is a way. You come to church every Sunday for 45 years. And you, it's like you're at the back of the room just getting a few of the crumbs, maybe a cupcake here, but there there is some pork. <laughs> Beefs, camel meat, crocodile, everything. <laughs> everything on that rich table there. But you are just like, no, I'm just hum humble here. It's a false humility. 
What is the door to this abundant grace? What is the way? If I could tell you the way, you would go for it. Most of the time, people are not going for it because they don't know the way. Philip said, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. Jesus said, how can you say that to me? I've been with you all these years. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the door. I am the way. Then he says, where, where I'm going, you know. You know the way. And he said, no, we don't know the way. Where are you going? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is this door? Humility. 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 Without humility, you will not believe what I'm telling you. This was the pride of the Pharisees. Without humility, you will not humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Without humility, you will not believe the promises of God. You will rather go to your gurus and read your operas and all those other wise things. When people bring you the word of God. Ah, man, old-fashioned whatever. Or the, the, the big excuse. I don't understand when I read the scriptures. It's an excuse. There's enough resource to learn. First, humble yourself. First Peter 5 and James 4. It says, therefore, humble yourself before the sight of God. It says, God resists the proud. Tell your neighbor, God resists the proud. If you are proud before God, you are being resisted. But he does what? He gives grace to the humble. He gives his favor for those who humble themselves. And humility is not like this false humility, religious humility. Oh, oh I'm just a, a poor sinner, worm. No. Humility is not that. Humility is seeing yourself the way God sees you. And if God says that you are a child of God, you are full of grace, you have the Holy Spirit, the power of God is available to you, the life of God is now for you, I am now with you, and you are strong in the Lord, that is what you say. Come on, church! Yeah? And you have to take that attitude up. Amen? Hallelujah. And so today, there are lots of people here who need to humble themselves. One of the reasons why we fast is because of humility. We are humbling ourselves to say, more than my food, more than my drink, more than my television, more than my friendships, more than my job, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He is all the hope. And it's not just the Lord God, Jesus, who is the face of God in my life. Amen? Let us stand. Even as we are speaking about the goodness of God, I believe that people are being touched right now. I believe that God is just transforming, especially in terms of psychological and emotional things. God is healing people this morning. You're getting set free of so much bondage because of anxiety, because of how you thought God was. But today, God is rich in love and mercy and kindness towards you. In Christ Jesus, he's demonstrated his love towards you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people this morning. I declare in the name of Jesus that the days of dying because of deception and because of a lie because of how people saw God have come to an end today in Jesus name I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that from today boldness is rising up in our hearts to approach the throne of grace to receive favor and mercy whenever we need it in the name of Jesus I declare in Jesus' name that those who have been trying to get free from all sorts of bondage and sins by their own strength, and it has not worked, they will finally give it up and come to receive the grace that sets free. 
I declare in the name of Jesus that from today, our relationship with God is going to another level in Jesus' name. I declare that our faith is stirred up because the, the law is not of faith, but grace produces faith. Because the good news brings faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Father, I declare that if there are people here who are sick in their bodies, and they are trying to earn their healing. If there are people here who are trusting you for financial breakthroughs. And they are trying to earn their financial breakthroughs. We declare the grace of God over you in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that the favor of God is for you in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that from today something changes and shifts in your life in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Mantala ye sabako sulu, balaya sibraye, tanamo sibala sire kushaya. I ask to see your face. I ask to see your face, Lord, in the middle of the night. All I heard were my fears, telling me that God is far. But today I hear the voice of the Savior, Jesus on the cross and raised from the dead. I believe that you are with me. I believe that you are for me. I believe that you are now opening up the way. I may know you face to face. I may hear your voice. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for who you've made me to be. Yes, Lord. I believe from today, people will begin to hear the voice of God like never before. Like never before. Never before. My sheep, they know my voice. My sons and daughters, they hear the Spirit. Father, I thank you for what you're doing this morning. For freedom and liberty that's breaking forth over the next couple of weeks. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.